Hello and welcome back to Take 97, a film podcast with me, your host, David Ingram. Today's episode, we are going to be getting very knee-deep, shall we say, into some gritty, bloody, violent, and extremely entertaining films that we like to call the slasher movie. So let's get started on that. And to do that, I have asked a friend of mine, very close friend of mine, who I met through uni. He is obsessed with the slasher film, slasher movie, however you want to put it. He is obsessed with it, and he even wrote his MA thesis on said topic. And I am so pleased to have him on the podcast. I wanted to get him on for a a while, but I thought I'd wait a little and save it up for an episode like this to come around. And this episode is actually going out as Halloween approaches. So please enjoy, for your listening pleasure, my conversation with my good friend, Mr. Adrian Lindsay. How are you doing, AD? How are you doing there? Yeah, I'm uh, doing great. And thanks for that lovely intro there. That was quite great. Um, You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciated it. I did. Oh, um, it's, it's always good. It's always good to hype someone up with a good intro because then it, it just starts us off in such a good way. So, uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself, AD, and like what you do. Um, and your day recently you've got a new job as well which you know most people would be very jealous of I know I definitely am uh, so I need the inside scoop really so just tell us a bit about yourself obviously I said how I know you briefly but just explain who you are to our listeners of Tate 97. Yeah sure so um, obviously uh, I went to university with David we both studied um, film together had a great time doing it as well yeah my new job is I work at a cinema now so well, I mean, I did that before as well, but I'm working at a new one, uh, the Curzon in Oxford. Yeah, it's great. It's a lot of fun. It's hard work, but anything worth doing is. So, yeah, I really enjoy it. And uh, it's going well. Absolutely. I mean, anyone who loves the cinema will be very envious of just anyone who works in a cinema, particularly a brand like the Curzon, who, you know, no offence to the other brands because there are other cinema chains available for your viewing pleasure obviously but the Curzon specifically are that very rare breed of cinema that are like that mixture between the blockbuster but mostly independent and the art house and all the bits in between you get the independents such as uh, I know you're a big fan of the Prince Charles cinema in London uh oh, you yes. you frequented a few of their uh their screenings of classic and big blockbuster films recently they've been showing since cinemas have been back open including i think you went to see lord of the rings i want to say you went to see the trilogy yes. in the in all in one night H- how was that experience <laughs> exhausting <laughs> but in a, in a very very um a very very good way um yeah so i'm a, I, I went with a close friend of mine who you also met holly yeah um and yeah we went there we were there from nine o'clock in the evening until about half past seven the following morning and we were so so tired but so so worth it I think anyone who loves kind of film or anything like that should definitely pay a visit to the the, um, Prince Charles it's absolutely fantastic I even managed to fit in a screening of Michael Bay's fantastic action movie The Rock in 35 millimeter so oh absolutely (laughs) yeah that now that that is something just to tantalize your 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 earbuds everyone who's listening and anyone who's like oh, i wish i could have been there 
but yeah we're, we're digressing slightly here but you know it's really great to have a fellow film buff like you on i said this with another friend of mine who was on a couple of episodes before my break just getting someone on who loves film this much it just gets us talking so let's get back to the main point of the podcast I've just said we are talking about slasher movies today and it's based around the top five films that you've chose. I may mention a couple or points here and there, but you are the master of ceremonies, as it were, with five films, which we shall discuss. They are by no means the best films or, you know, like everybody's taste as such, but they are particularly ones that both of us for the majority of the time, apart from maybe one, do actually both share a love for in some respects. And I'm sure there's lots to talk about and digress into. So do you want to get us started on, should we name it number five then? We'll count down from five to one, I think we'll say, because even though it's no reflection on how good or bad these are, you could do these in any order. But let's start off Mm -hmm. with the first pick that you've got uh, for one of your favourite slasher movies. And also, before you start that, could you give us what you think your general definition is of a slasher movie? What should a slasher movie, or should I say a good one, actually contain? What should a good slasher movie contain to make it slasher-worthy, as it were? Oh, well, that's quite, um, that's quite a... It's one of those things that everybody kind of disagrees on, which sounds quite odd, but it, it's largely in part because people can't kind of disagree on what the earliest slash movie was. So I guess for argument's sake, the very basic of it would be you kind of have this masked killer who is stalking young teenagers. And there's usually some sort of kind of mischief going on among the teenagers. You know, there's always at least, say if there's five of them, four of them are always kind of, you know, they're not exactly particularly nice. And you always kind of get the virginal character. So that's kind of your stock kind of basis for it and yeah they kind of vary in narrative after that so the kind of quality often goes out the window with the slash movie Um, (laughs) but sometimes (laughs) i think i i think that makes them more entertaining though and i think that's what we're going to get into in this episode is that the slasher movie it doesn't have to be terrence malick it doesn't have to be any of these other like Bong Joon-ho. It doesn't have to be uh, Jean-Luc Godard or any other big names you could think of in the history of cinema, be it UK, American or European, anywhere in the world, Asian cinema, anything. It can be as cheap as hell and be just great fun to watch. So start us off with your first pick that you're going to entice us all with and I do also love as well. I do love this one. Uh, Not as much as some of the others, but start us off with the first one that you suggested for our discussion today then. Um, So I believe we're going backwards, I believe. So I'll start actually with the kind of, I guess it's the earliest film. I was was quite young when this film came out. (laughs) But yeah, I'm going to start with 1996's Scream, actually. Mm, Yeah. Um, Which I think most of your listeners probably uh, have already seen or at least know of. Yeah, really well. Um, directed by Wes Craven, who will also feature yet again later on in this mm. discussion. Please but, keep tuned um, for that, guys. <laughs> yeah, he's like a mainstay in the horror genre himself. Um, obviously, he did Nightmare on Elm Street, but Scream kind of follows on from New Nightmare, uh, which he did in 1994, mm. which is kind of like sort of what I see is the birth of the kind of meta slasher. So Mm. this is where these films start to become very self-referential, self-knowing and all that kind of thing. And Scream's kind of notable because of its cast as well. You know, you get Drew Barrymore, who obviously very big child star 
And she's kind of like the biggest, I would say the biggest name in this at that point. And you get Courtney Cox, who obviously oh, yes. goes on fame. Nev Campbell, who would, you know, this would literally like make her career and she would go on and do quite a few other things. Some perhaps not so good, but, you know, that's not for me to judge, I guess. Yeah, that's. Um, I think that's for everyone to make their mind up about uh, that career move and where that yeah. career went. But I do agree. There's so many names in it. Like you mentioned a couple that I was going to highlight, obviously the likes of Drew Barrymore, obviously, and obviously Courtney Cox and David Arquette, who were actually, I think whether they were, they were married at the time at this point, or they were going, they were going to, it was, I think it was the next year or so, wasn't it? I think this is, uh, this is the film that they met on. I I think I'm not, not 100%, but I think that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And, And obviously everybody who's like, Everybody's who is like into sitcoms. Obviously, you will know Courtney Cox for Friends, uh, but she's got a lot more to her. And to be honest, I think Scream, in my opinion, like she's been in other things, but the two things I think of when I think of Courtney Cox are literally Friends and Scream. And in terms of which one is the better one, it's quite clear which one is the better one, at least for me personally, and I know for you personally as well, is Scream itself. Because it's not all that whilst there is funny aspects in both of the things that she is starred in. Do you have any sort of favorite moments from the film? Any particular highlights like or sequences you enjoyed from Scream? Yeah, so I mean, I love the whole film, but I think personally, I would have to go with definitely the opening sequence because I think it's just quite shocking and you really just don't see it coming. And I also, there's, there's this scene kind of towards the final act where you get one of the characters who's called Randy. And he's sort of, he's basically me, but in the film, you know, he knows, he knows the rules of the slasher and he's kind of, ta- you know, he's just taking everybody through it. And then he's sort of passed out a little bit drunk, but he's also, I think he's watching Halloween on the, on the TV. Mm. And as he's watching that, the um, Gail Weathers has kind of gone in there. So that's the Courtney Cox character. And yeah. she's kind of set up this micro uh, kind of microphone and little camera. And she's in the truck and she's kind of watching this footage and she sees the killer come in in the full ghost face kind of outfit. And meanwhile, Randy's like screaming at the telly like, no, don't go that way or something like that. And then all of a sudden there's kind of like this noise and it cuts back and you realise there's actually a time delay on the footage. And yeah, kind of it leads into something else that happens and it's all really great, but that whole setup I just thought is brilliant. And again, it kind of links into that meta kind of feel, you know, they're referencing all these rules that are in the horror film and yeah. all of these kind of things that can happen. So yeah, it's yeah. it's a genuinely well-made film and yeah. definitely I would say one of the best of kind of these meta kind of canon of films. Yeah, exactly. And you touched on New Nightmare, which is the other Wes Craven meta film, which based in the Nightmare on Elm Street universe, where they're making another Nightmare on Elm Street film and Freddy Krueger's real. Um, And in terms of being meta, I wanted to bring up my two highlights. I love obviously that sequence as well and many moments from the film. But for me personally, I love uh, the appearance, the cameo appearances by, so first of all, we got Linda Blair, who played Reagan, the little girl in The Exorcist, which for anyone who doesn't know AD or may, you know, may have stalked his social media once in a while, uh, you may or may not realize that The Exorcist is his favorite film. And anytime I do a poll on Take 97, 
and I put something like, what's your favorite 70s film? What's your favorite horror film? And The Exorcist comes through. You can guarantee that was his answer. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, Linda Blair makes a cameo. She plays a news reporter in Scream. And she just, yeah, it's just a nice little nod to a horror masterpiece, really, to be honest, by William Friedkin. And yeah, that's another topic for a completely different day that we could discuss at great length and to be honest i think it would just be ad talking i'd just be going what do you think about this uh, uh, do you like it of course you like it it's your favorite film that's why you like it um <laughs> it's, definitely, it's definitely one of them it's it's alongside blade runner yeah definitely oh absolutely two classics in the run absolutely good and then other cameo the other cameo as well i love is wes craven himself he plays a high school janitor uh, he's credited well people it's written about he's not actually credited but he's there and he's dressed like freddy krueger as well and that's the mm. best part the the it's the jumper and the hat combo that gets me it's just like it's freddy krueger but it's not it's freddy krueger well. yeah his, his name he calls him fred he's like oh sorry not you fred not and you like Nice, nicely done. Nicely done there. And I just love how we managed to, you know, we got Ghostface, which became iconic, an iconic look. And then you've also got a little nod to Nightmare on Elm Street as well, which, you know, we, I can't ask for any more. Scream, anyone who hasn't seen it, please watch it. It is a great bit of fun. And we're not going to spoil it too much for you because we'll go on to our next recommendation now. Do you want to kick us off with it? It's a bit ironic, actually, since we were talking about Freddy Krueger, to be honest, because that is, I believe, the next one on your list. It is, yeah. So next up is actually Wes Craven's 1984 Nightmare on Elm Street, so the original mm. film, um, which it was also kind of made by New Line Cinema, which obviously now most people probably know because of Lord of the Rings. Uh, they, mm. you know, they produce those movies. Yeah. And they're often referred to actually as the house that Freddie built because mm. it was those Nightmare on Elm Street films that really made them a lot of money. But also, I think another good thing about Nightmare on Elm Street is it had a very early appearance by someone who is now, it's very hard to say, I guess you would consider him maybe a little bit controversial at the moment he's also quite a beloved actor as well i think that's fair to say that is fair to say and i know exactly yeah. who you're talking about you know uh, where it's going yeah. <laughs> i know where this is going um funnily enough i actually i don't know you probably you might have seen that i guested on a, another podcast uh with the two lovely ladies of film fluence podcast mm. anyone who hasn't checked that one out check the episode with me out because it's worth it. Um, discussing our favorite Johnny Depp moments. Uh, and obviously Nightmare on Elm Street was brought up briefly. And this was one of his very first, if not, it was his first piece yeah. of film work that he did. And obviously he he plays the character of oh, what's his name? Is that he plays Glenn? Glenn, Glenn the boy, yeah. Glenn the boyfriend of Nancy Thompson. And he's very, you know, he's very typical you know, boyfriend or, you know, he's he, the good looking one. He's there. And, you know, in true slasher style, spoiler alert, by the way, guys, in case you haven't seen it, uh, <laughs> he gets he gets sliced to pieces in, you know, in a way that I think would honor, I think would match Kubrick's elevator, I would say. I I, I think some oh, people, yeah. you know, the, the blood, the technique behind that scene, I have to say Nightmare on Elm Street, that's one of my absolute favorite highlights is the death of Johnny Depp. That sounds really horrible, but it is the death of Glenn. And the way they filmed that, if anyone's into their behind the scenes, like photography or even behind the scenes footage, how they filmed that was so great. Like, because I think the way they did it was they had an upside down set. So they poured blood into it, 
but they put the camera so that it would be in a way the right way round. So yeah, it yeah. would gush downwards like normal, but because of the way the camera was positioned, it looked like the blood was rising up through the bed as it after it had consumed poor old Johnny Depp. Yeah, into the it's one of the um the bed. It's like one of the most <laughs> iconic scenes in a slasher film because it's just it's just so insane, but it's also just so brilliant and. I think that's one of the the very strong points about Nightmare on Elm Street is that, you know, it's got some of these fantastically unique kind of kills within the film, but Mm. also the the story and the whole narrative of that movie is, is fantastically done. Um, You know, I mean, as you, you mentioned it earlier, but I kind of touch upon in my thesis, I I wrote about kind of narrative and, and the way that these films are told. There are so many of them that are just, you know, I mean, the narrative is very basic. You know, they follow very structured kind of beats and everything. You can, yeah. you can hit them with a bat. It's that good. Um, you know, they're so <laughs> common. But it's kind of the way that these often get told. And I think Nightmare's definitely one of the better told movies in terms of its narration. It, it does indeed. And speaking of characters and narrative, I like the way it misleads you. I really do. So for anyone who has seen it, you'll understand what we mean. But I really do love the fact that we start off thinking that, uh, I think it's, oh, what's her name? Uh, the, the the girl, I think Tina Gray, Tina? Oh, t- yeah, Tina. Tina. It's How yeah, we're, led, we're led to, yeah, the best friend of Nancy. We're led to believe that Tina is actually the main character because we spend a good portion of the beginning of the film thinking mm. she is the main character and then she gets killed off. Sort of taking after, I like to quote the moment from the Hitchcock biopic, Hitchcock with uh, Anthony Hopkins and Helen Mirren in it. I like to quote Helen Mirren's, bit in that film where she goes kill her after 30 minutes in reference to psycho killing off your main character after 30 minutes except in this case it's you're killing off the main character but it's more peeling the banana peeling it off and discovering that actually she wasn't your main character you're gonna love this character and you're gonna sympathize with her and obviously I, I don't know. I feel like we get the best, like I, I would say up with Ripley, Ellen Ripley from Aliens, I would say Nancy Thompson is my next favourite sort of, I know they're completely okay. different genres, but I would okay. say they're my two favourite female sort of of the 80s, 70s, 80s um, heroines then in a way, even though obviously Nancy spends half the time running away and screaming and being like, <laughs> I, I am not afraid of you, Kruger. I am not afraid. And obviously that's the way uh, you can defeat yeah. uh, old Freddy Krueger, as we mentioned, the boogeyman to be all mm-hmm. boogeyman, played by the brilliant Robert Englund. Yeah. No one else can do it. I mean, I think I can't remember the guy's name, but somebody else has played him, and he just—it's not the same. <laughs> yeah, that. I mean, that that remake is kind of it's 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 widely considered to be pretty bad. Yes, um, and also just to kind of touch on something that you've just just mentioned about how you know they killed Tina off really early. That is also mirrored in scream yeah it's it like is, the, yeah. it's it's the absolute mirror of it and I, I just i love it you know i could talk about nightmare on elm street probably all all day it's again, so good again this is another episode you've just got to come back this is what we're going to do special horror episodes every every year <laughs> <laughs> but like i said yeah nightmare on elm street it's brilliant 1984 west craven another classic robert england is the the man the man behind the hat, behind that stripy jumper. We love him. We love Freddy. 
It's great. Uh, and then obviously Johnny Depp gets killed. Yeah, what more can you want? <laughs> <laughs> in, Just in to stay epic fashion. in epic fashion. That's absolutely epic fashion. And I, I do like another thing to highlight from that before we move on. John Saxon as the father yeah. of Nancy. I think he does a really good job. And I think he, I, I've said this before, ignore part two of Nightmare on Elm Street. Ignore all the others. Part three really should have been the only one. That should have been part two. It should have been the sequel because I mean, out of all of them, I enjoyed the third one. The like the yeah. second one was a weird, a very strange diversion, yeah, especially with that opening sequence with the bus and everything. Yeah, <laughs> but like, but the, I mean, yeah, sorry, go on. I mean, oh, sorry about that. I, I, I just wanted to kind of weigh in on, on that because I do yeah. sort of agree, but I have a little bit of a soft spot for the second film because mm. it's. I think by the time the third film comes along, they kind of are starting to go down this kind of route where they're going to make Freddy a little bit more of a comical kind of character. Yeah, I get you. He's not quite there yet, but it's Mm. kind of the... Whereas in the sequel, he's still very much kind of like, you know, he's definitely just pure evil. And Mm. also, I think as well, that film's quite important because a few years later, I can't remember his name now, but he played the lead in that sequel. and. Obviously, he was actually gay in real life. He kind of has spoken about how that film, in many ways, was kind of kind of a coming out movie. And, and yeah. if you kind of think of it, there's very explicit yeah. kind of moments in that film that are kind yeah. of saying, "Oh, this is what we're kind yeah. of grasping at." And I yeah. kind of like that. I mean, I would agree. I, to be honest, the messages and themes. I think I I like those. I do like those. I applaud the film for that. The, the special effects, I would say, still classic, classic Freddy. I'd say I'd agree with you mm-hmm. again that it goes with that. Personally, for me, in terms of like the narrative, looking at like mm-hmm. one and three together, those I enjoy. But as like a sort of a diversion from the original, not really having the original characters like Nancy or any of that in the second one, it does stand on its own. And as time oh, has yeah. gone on and we've thought about film a little bit more, it definitely comes across a little bit better than it probably would have done initially shall we say um but like we said we could talk about that all night but let's move on very swiftly to your next one this film i am not familiar with i will be open and honest for that i do not have a clue what it's about so ad <laughs> the floor is yours please tell us about your next pick that you've decided to recommend for our listeners okay so the next one is from 1981 and it's a film called the burning mm, yes um, which is kind of it's kind of infamous for several reasons. And one of the biggest ones being it's actually a very early production of Harvey Weinstein's, the, you know, the man that we should not mention. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's very hard to kind of talk about this film and not mention him really, because, yeah. you know, it's, it, you know, it kind of is one of those bigger films that he's kind of produced in his early years. But also it's kind of notable. It's got this very, very solid cast and a cast of like people who would actually go on to have very good careers so for example you've got jason alexander who's in pretty woman and seinfeld holly hunter is in the movie as well you know she would be in things like the piano raising arizona and numerous films you know they there's so many of them they've, they've all gone on to kind of have really really um solid careers mm-hmm. and you know the film itself it's it's again it's one of those kind of few that come out in this canon of the slasher movies in the golden era of them that are actually really, really well made and really well done. Basically, the plot of the story is there's a guy basically called Cropsy who gets kind of set on fire by these kids because their prank kind of goes wrong. 
So he gets all deformed and decides he's going to go back and take revenge. And it's all kind of set on a campsite. And you get very kind of the overtones of like Friday the 13th. You know, that's definitely in there because Friday mm. the 13th is kind of where the campsite kind of yeah. thing comes in. But yeah. I think the most notorious uh, scene of that film, and most people, I, I would imagine that even if some of your listeners haven't actually seen the whole film, they must have at some stage come across the scene, uh, which is my personal favourite in the film. And it's the sort of scene where they're basically, they're all on the, there's about five of them on a raft. And they're kind of rowing along and they come across this like abandoned canoe. And then the next thing, Cropsy jumps out of the water and he's holding kind of a pair of shears and he just brutally dispatches all five of them in very quick fashion. It's very bloody. It's very gory. It's fantastic. And I eat it up. I love it. (laughs) Can we just have every episode conclude with you going, I eat it up. I devoured it. I did this. I came. I destroyed. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) it's, It's just great. I mean, I just, the whole point I think of these slasher films is that you've got to love, you've got to be in it to love those kind of moments. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's what makes those films and especially with the burning, but it, it does also have a very, very strong story. And that cast is even that, even though they're quite young, they're still, you can see the talent on show, you know, they, they really carry it mm. and they do really well with it. And yeah, it's a personal favorite of mine, even though, you know, it does have that little black mark on it now, but, you yeah. kind of ignore that and just look at it as its own thing and it's fantastic it's great and moving swiftly into the next film sort of transition and linking it up a little bit you mentioned campsites and slasher films and you mentioned a specific film which is the next one and i'll highlight it for you i will introduce it this time around it is the 1980 sean s cunningham film that everybody will know for the hockey mask wearing slasher that is Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th. Now, obviously, just a little disclaimer, he wasn't wearing the the hockey mask. It's a spoiler alert for you guys, but you don't get to see the hockey mask in the first one. There's actually a sleeve from, I don't want to bash uh, DVD companies or anything, but there was a collector's sleeve of horror films for the first Friday the 13th, where it's got, uh, actually, no, it's not even the sleeve. It's the actual cover, and it's got a picture of the hockey mask laying at the bottom of the picture uh, with the outside of Jason uh, standing there ominously. And it's really bad because Jason doesn't look like that at all until like at least until the later films. And you don't get the hockey mask um, until later. He's he's not even in the first film. That's the even bigger thing. It's kind of, but it's, it's, it's often that often happens because he ends up being such a huge part of that franchise. Exactly. I don't forgive them. (laughs) No, I don't either. I'm just like, I mean, if I was somebody who didn't actually read up on things, I'd be like, where's the hockey mask? Where is the hockey mask? Where's the hockey mask? And like, can you imagine if someone's first experience, like they watched, I don't know, one of the later sequels or God forbid, like I, unfortunately decided to do watch freddy versus jason which i is time i'm never going to get back by the way guys do not watch freddy versus jason unless you want to get drunk and you want to watch it for that the experience because it is not worth it kelly Rowland, that's all i'll say kelly Rowland and jason <laughs> Voorhees and freddy krueger 
that's all I need to say. It, it's not something that I would expect to say in a sentence, but it it happened. It happened. It's the early 2000s. It, it happened, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but back to the main point. It was point. a crazy time. It was a crazy time indeed. Um, but back to the main point, Friday the 13th, 1980 film. It's the one that started it all. And it's the one that has the most mystery about it. Like it's set, obviously anyone who knows it will know of Camp Crystal Lake, the famed camp site for, so, you know, you've got, teenagers who are meant to be looking at as the camp counselors and camp leaders they're meant to be looking after young kids who are going off to summer camp as it were in america and just not to spoil it too much but there's a backstory behind jason Voorhees and his demise as it were we'll let you find out more when you watch the film but his demise then from his formative years that's all i'll say on that but basically and the rise of how jason comes to be and then you discover more as you go through the franchise. But this first one is much more about the legend of Jason more than anything and someone connected to him. And I'm not going to spoil it too much here, but there's certain characters that are in this that we mention the character of Glenn in Nightmare on Elm Street, played by Johnny Depp. This is probably one of my earliest memories of Kevin Bacon in a Uh film, you know, other than Footloose, obviously. But, you know, this one actually, this one comes before. And the fact that, you know, Kevin Bacon is in such a, he's so brief his performance is like it's there and then he's gone like it you know that's it that is a spoiler guys but it's to be expected because the general premise Mm. of friday the 13th is that you go to camp crystal lake something happened many years ago which you'll find out more about by the end of the film uh, and why that's such an important crucial part to the narrative and then everybody gets picked off one by one essentially it's like and then there were none but in a slasher that's essentially the the premise of it, the Agatha Christie, and then there were none. You get picked off one by one, uh, and Kevin Bacon was one of the first. Uh, unfortunately or fortunately, if you hate Footloose, it was fortunately. If you didn't, <laughs> it was un- it was unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> but what do you sort of, what would you say your highlights are from Friday the 13th and 80? So, I mean, um, I had it actually written in my notes, and it was the Kevin Bacon scene because it is... Uh, yeah very iconic you know that that whole death scene and it's got some fantastic special effects from tom savini who is an absolute master and he worked on so many of these films yeah he did he did the burning and you know he obviously he's done friday the 13th worked with george romero on on a lot of things so, yeah, so you know good. i mean I, I absolutely love that and the thing with friday the 13th as well is is you know obviously and it's kind of touch on this a bit later on when we talk about it but halloween is often cited as being kind of the blueprint for the slasher film but actually it's probably friday the 13th that would be the more accurate of that largely because friday the 13th kind of it doesn't have the same sort of nuances if you will of halloween and it's 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 much more about let's get to a kill and let's do it quick and you know it sets up the whole kind of aspect of you know if you have sex and you drink and you do drugs well it's time to get your heads chopped off or something like that anyway (laughs) you know and that's it literally does do that this is like the literal blueprint so it literally does it is a great film and to sort of point out something that i noticed actually it's again i'm trying not to spoil this but it's very hard not to but we get to meet i will say i'll say this now if you haven't seen this i'm gonna go into it the mother of jason Voorhees appears at some point in the film her role i will not disclose to you in case you want to watch the film everybody but i, I don't know what your opinion is Aidy. don't you think she looks like it's 
probably because to do with like the way restoration works on the film these days, the way the film looks and her skin tone. But her skin tone actually looked very waxy then, if that makes sense, like a wax work mm. almost. And she looks almost fake, even though she's a real person. But at the same time, it's like they've captured the essence of the 1960s, even though this is a 19, like late 70s, early 80s film. Because like her hairstyle, it's it's short and it's peroxide blonde, short blonde. It's sort of reminiscent of Roman Polanski's Rosemary's Baby. So Mia Farrow's haircut a little bit, a little little bit more bouffant hit like body to it because it's the 80s. But it's kind of reminiscent of that look in, in that respect, you know. The stereotype of the unhinged woman She's unhinged yeah. so she ch- she chops all her hair off Kind of thing That stereotype that was used a little bit In the early horror films that we So like Rosemary's Baby And a little bit of Friday the 13th But her skin tone and her eyes They're just so like so wide and piercing That you just You yeah. feel like you're looking at a waxwork dummy You really do I, I, What do you think about like The, the look of Mrs. Voorhees then because ultimately she plays a very important role in the film anyway. But like yeah. just as much as the legend of Jason and the killing of each of the teenagers, uh, what would you say? It's very hard for me to say something without spoiling it. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree entirely. I think the whole look is, well, it's definitely, it's, it's there on purpose. It's there to serve a reason, which you will find out i mean i'm I'm pretty sure we've probably given so much away without think, saying it but it's in a few words but i think we have <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is one of those things where i definitely agree i think she's deliberately made to look a specific way and then you kind of complement that with the way that she's acting and you know it's it's fantastically done it's it's des- the whole thing is designed to kind of yeah really set something going in your head and Again, it's it's something that I love about that film, and it's something that 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 film does well. Is it has so many things that make you start questioning, kind of exactly what is going on and who is responsible for all this. And it's it's so well done. And Sean S. Cunningham, I think he just he took what um what John Carpenter did and just managed to make you know a film that I think it even took more money than um, Halloween in the end. It's very interesting you mentioned the acting style because I think it's like I say she's very she reminds me of the 1960s I think her acting style is very sick because although yes you look at the 80s they have an, like certain actors in be they cheesy film really crappy made films like really weak flimsy ones or very tatty ones like the slasher genre mm. overall that you know they were done cheaply but with maximum effect you do get this sense that the acting style is ever so different. You look at the teenagers in Friday the 13th, and you know, they're very typical of the late 70s, early 80s. But then you look at that, at the mother, you look at Mrs. Voorhees, and she's very 60s. She's like, yeah. it's like you've plucked someone out of a Hitchcock film and they're not happy about it. And that's why yeah. they're, they're hell bent on, <laughs> on just being the most awkward person in the room, being that sore thumb in the like the elephant in the room then yeah. shall we say being right there in front of you being so obviously out of place then and being such a contrast with the surroundings and then obviously all hell breaks loose with all the the most the majority of the cast getting killed off by the end of the film yeah yeah no definitely 100% agree with you there you know it's it's kind of it feels it's, well it's definitely deliberate it's yeah. it's kind of this whole sort of Harkening back to kind of the old style um, 
I can't say it because it gives it away. It's the old style <laughs> version of a particular character type. Yes. There we go. Yeah, there we go. That, that's, that's one way of putting it. it <laughs> We've done our best here, guys. So if, if, <laughs> if, if people, right, please tweet me, Instagram message me, you know, just let me know if you feel like we spoiled it for you. If you managed to get through and feel like you, and you've not seen the film, you don't know what's going on. We've done a pretty damn good job of it. So that's good. But last of all, let's move on to your final pick before we conclude the episode. You have mentioned what it is already. So I will say it again for you. Um, it is the John Carpenter, as we mentioned, the the god, one of the many gods up there with George A. Romero, is the god of all slasher movies, shall we say, up there with Sean S. Cunningham's Friday the 13th. And it is because this episode is going to be going out and is out now in the Halloween season, Halloween, the 1978 John Carpenter film. Based around, for anyone who doesn't know, it's based around Michael Myers, who... For anyone who knows their film facts as well, he's a obviously he. We open up the film with child Michael Myers, and we experience his first kill. Uh, it's no real spoiler there. It's his first kill as a child. Uh, again, connections with the whole babysitters ignoring children and you know shirking their responsibilities in favor of sex and sexual attraction and general goings on in the bedroom or specifically on the sofa in this case uh, <laughs> just generally ignoring him because all he wanted to do was play you know go trick-or-treating in his in his like it costume even though it wasn't really a thing back then but uh, he, he does look very much like the 1990 Pennywise uh, a little bit in that <laughs> in the color scheme of it uh, but that's something for another day uh, but yeah Michael Myers he, he gets basically taken away put away locked away uh, and then this is him escaping from the hospital and going on a rampage basically after being scarred as a as a young boy seeing i think isn't his sister or something his sister having sex with her yeah. boyfriend yeah so um the opening sequence which is it was actually the sequence that i was gonna say is my favorite and excellent <laughs> it's the opening sequence is basically you're looking at, at the film the eyes of Michael and yeah you're witnessing him kind of watch his sister and her boyfriend kind of make out and do some saucy stuff yeah then he kind of very slowly and very deliberately kind of stalks his way into his own house and goes upstairs and kills his sister yeah, yeah. and that's Stands the short it, it's, it's a lovely way to open the film and if you didn't want if you know you think oh, i could do with more of that well just sit right back and enjoy the rest of the film where we, we see jamie lee curtis may do a stellar job it's one of my highlights jamie lee curtis as the scream queen then uh, as uh, playing laurie strode in halloween she's the main character in a different way that so we don't have nightmare on elm street vibes where we start off with a character thinking they're going to be our lead and then they get killed off and we end up favoring the best friend in this case we definitely follow her journey through this and obviously through the franchise because that's something else that i meant to mention actually like halloween has got 13 films to this day yeah. well well i say to this day uh, but as of the recording of this in like 2020, so in 2022, by that point, there will be the 13th 
ironically the 13th yeah. halloween film will be released obviously not all of them are connected because some of them are direct sequels to the original uh, others are then mm. sequels to the new ones which are connected to the sequel and then you've got others which aren't don't even involve michael myers at all i think i want to say that's halloween part three or something like that it or, is yeah season yeah. uh season of the witch which is excellent in its own right in mm. its own right it's yeah. very very good and the whole the whole series is just like even though it's not the most cohesive of franchises i feel like everybody gets something different from them like you say you enjoy mm. you know, season of the witch it has its own highlights its own merits even though it doesn't feature the boogeyman of the film michael myers it's nothing compared to the first one because the first one is all about michael myers escaping and getting back out there and then obviously mm. we see his exploits in the later films so season of the witch is really a good one for anyone who wants to watch a halloween film that doesn't have michael myers in it although quite frankly why would you you watch the well, original <laughs> i mean uh, i mean he shows up on a tv yeah which, that's fair that is, is very, fair. Um, that is true i guess kind of very meta in its own way so maybe mm. john you know john carpenter's writing has been a bit meta before it needed to be mm, um, maybe maybe but also um <laughs> You know, you kind of kind of get these connections to the newer ones because anyone who's perhaps watched the trailer for the new Halloween, Halloween Kills, mm, yeah. uh, there's a very specific moment where you see a kid wearing a Halloween pumpkin mask. Mm. And that is definitely kind of a reference to Halloween pre. So mm. it's nice that they do little nods like that. I really yeah. You know, I always enjoy stuff like that. It always makes me like get giddy yeah. and excited. Yeah, I, I like references too. Like references in the right places. I think it, like me and AD, we both agree that like when a reference is done good, it's done really well. Like if you put it in there for gratuity, it's not going to really land well. But if you put it in there really strategically, it will work. And stuff like that in Halloween Kills of what's to come it's just perfect and it's the right kind of callback but yeah for anyone who like so halloween michael myers we see him as a child he does some murdering that's a really basic way of explaining it and then he goes on a rampage when he gets older in several years time and i think and jamie lee curtis is the is our like main screen queen heroine yeah. woman that, that we follow through this who's on the run from michael myers because obviously michael myers the other thing about halloween is anyone who knows it is the mask the famous story yeah. behind the fact that it's actually in fact William Shatner yeah. <laughs> which I still yeah. can't believe to this day like well, I can believe it because I know it's true but like <laughs> now you, when you look at it like if anybody didn't know that and they've seen pictures of Michael Myers in the mask try and get that out of your heads that it's William Shatner <laughs> yeah once you once you once you see it so if you never knew that beforehand it's you know you kind of don't register it but once you see it, you can never unsee it. So you're kind of just waiting for him to like before he stabs someone, be like, start date, whatever, and I'm about to stab this guy. And it's like it's so weird. It's, it always runs through my head because I'm a big Star Trek fan as well. Yeah. So I always look at it and I'm like, why is Captain Kirk like murdering all these women? That just doesn't <laughs> really make sense to me. But, no, it doesn't. Ah! I'll go with it. You know, just go with it. Just go with it. And <laughs> just talking about that, you talked to, you touched on the legacy of Halloween. Obviously, like we said, 13 films. Ironically, we're on to the 13th film uh, by the time we get to 2022, uh, which I think yeah. is called Halloween Ends. It's called at the moment yeah. anyway. It's looking to be called Friday the 13th. You know, who's the best boogeyman? Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, Jason, 
I mean, there's lots of little debates out there on that, but I, I don't think we should ever have a crossover again because we we oh, saw God, no. we like I said earlier, we saw what happened with the travesty that was <laughs> Freddie versus Jason, and it should have a subtitle in brackets: Freddie versus Jason versus Kelly Rowland. That's what that film should be called. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, though, I I remember actually going to the cinema to see that film. So, I mean, I can't really I can't really diss too much. I actually paid money for that movie. So, and the interesting thing as well is originally they wanted to do so they wanted to do Friday the Thirteenth versus so Jason versus Freddy, but they also wanted to incorporate Ash and the Deadites from Evil Dead. Ooh. And there was also a rumor they wanted to do Candyman in there as well, ah. um, and, I, and it just didn't really come to fruition. Yeah, so, I can know, only so. imagine what sign. I mean, it could have been really good, kind of. It could, it could have been, or, or or what I suspect it might have been, like Freddy versus Jason. Um, it could have been very very bad. <laughs> it could have been um it could have been rob zombie halloween remake bad which oh is, god yeah which no. is really 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 bad <laughs> absolutely we talk about this because we we digress but it's because we love the film so much and i just want to sort of bring us back to halloween briefly i mentioned jamie lee curtis obviously the mm. the character of michael myers the boogeyman himself but i have to highlight donald pleasance as the character of samuel or sam loomis uh he in a way i, I it's probably a bad thing to say, really, because you love The Exorcist so much. But I do see Donald Pleasance as like, and actually, no, I see Donald Pleasance, John and John Saxon, so the one who plays the father in Nightmare on Elm Street, and also I, I really should remember his name, but the priest, the priest in um, The Exorcist, I forget what his name is now. Uh, Father Karras. That's the I one. Remember, I, I remember his name, but I can never remember the acting. Then. No, yeah, but I see those three men as like having a similar kind of role. Like, obviously, with the priest in The Exorcist, he is a man of the cloth. He addresses the balance through his holy powers, as it were, to bar the devil back into its space and back to where it belongs. I do, you know, Donald Pleasance as the psychiatrist in Halloween. I, I, I don't know. Is, is that sense of that you got an authority figure he they're not really helping the plot really but they're there doing stuff in the background i mean obviously it's different with the exorcist because that he's directly involved in it but i think the likes yeah. of john saxon so the father in so nancy's dad in nightmare on elm street and donald pleasance they have that similar vibe to them at least i get that sort of vibe and i feel like you know they're authority okay. figures they've got the power to do stuff but they never quite get there with the main baddie, as it were. John Saxon, it's because he doesn't believe that what his daughter's saying is real because she, he thinks that she's gone crazy. Whereas Donald Pleasance has to deal with the crazy, but mm. it's somewhat out of his own control and out of his league in a way. It's out of his depth. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree to an extent about that. Yeah, um, definitely with John Saxon's character, there's kind of, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I think with Donald Pleasance in Halloween, it's kind of like it's it's much more of a case of he's always a step behind because Michael's kind of he never speaks and you never really get the inner workings of the mind of Michael Myers. But he's obviously not some sort of idiot because he's never driven a car, but he suddenly can learn how to drive a car. So mm. you can either look at that as just a very bad kind of narrative plot <laughs> plot hole. <laughs> or as I I tend to do, I'm like, well, he's meant to be pure evil, and he's this 
kind of character that never says anything. So how do you know he's not kind of read a book or done anything like that? Uh, we don't know that because we've never seen that. Yeah, no. Unless you've seen the TV version, in which case you get kind of very one minor scene because um, they shot, a f- I think they shot maybe two, three extra scenes to mm. make it longer for TV. And one of the scenes is uh, Donald Pleasance says Dr. Loomis goes to see Michael uh, in his room. And Michael's just staring out the window, but, you know, he's just not there kind of thing. And it's kind of great because it makes more sense to a line that he has later on, you know, where Loomis is talking about how he just would stare out of his room, like looking beyond the, the walls, looking beyond, you know, like the bars and everything. And he's looking there towards this night. Yeah. And I, just, I, I just love it so much. It's, it's, it's one of my all-time favourite slashes. And I think, I think without it, it's kind of... And I, I know I'm going on a bit here, but uh, sorry. That's <laughs> so all right. It's, it's, it's a film that I love so much. And it's oft, very often when you kind of talk about kind of how slasher, the slasher genre kind of evolved and where it started from, people often cite either uh, Black Christmas or as I used to, I used to actually would argue, and I, I did this in my undergraduate actually, where I argued that Halloween was the basis for it. But as I touched on earlier, I actually think it's more Friday the 13th. And what I see Halloween, Black Christmas, uh, I'm also going to throw Texas Chainsaw Massacre in there and obviously Psycho and a slightly lesser known film to maybe people who have seen kind of more of the mainstream stuff, but a fantastic film nonetheless, which is uh, Peeping Tom. From the oh 60s. my God. I mean, I, I have to interrupt you just a little bit. Cause like I, I've when I first saw the trailer for mm. Peeping Tom, it intrigued me so much. And actually going back to, like I said, that Mrs. Voorhees looks like she's from the sixties because of the skin tone. Yeah. And obviously the way that restoration works on like the film print and everything, the look of everything in that film, it looks so waxworky and terrifying. So, you know, you, like you hear the classic name of uh, like the house. I think there's, there is something called the house of wax. I'm not making that up somewhere. The house of no, wax. No, no, there is. There the is, house of yeah. wax. Um, yeah. Like those old horror, like so classic, classic horror films and horror dynasty then, shall we say. But like you do get this essence of creepiness of the voyeurism and the being watched. And that's, you know, one of the great components of, like you say, the slasher film is it brings all the best parts of horror, but in a more, you know, the boogeyman, you know, people tell their yeah. children, oh, the boogeyman's going to come and get you. What happens if that boogeyman was a mass serial killer? What happens if they've got a grudge against their sister who made out in front of them? What happens if they're neglected? I'm not telling you which film that is, <laughs> but you can work it out probably. Uh, and what happens if, I don't know, you've watched too many films and you get stalked by a guy dressed in all black and a screaming ghost face that's all i'll say on that <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's right and yeah it's it's kind of like all of those films you put them together and it's it's the foundation of what the slasher genre was built on you know yeah. you know and it's crazy to think you know that two films from the 60s would kind of play such a huge role and not just them it's you know the italian giallo movies which mm. You know, are very famous because of Dario Argento, mm. and you know, I mean, I, you know, he's another one that you could just spend hours talking about. 
exactly but yeah it's it's crazy to think that you know all of these influences come together to create what many kind of film scholars for a very long time would kind of didn't you know dismiss as being schlocky yeah. and yeah. unworthy and it's like well they're not and it's i'm very happy that they kind of get much more respect and they get much more of kind of praise than what they used to it's very good that the genres yeah. manage that the great thing is it's kind of we're in this fantastic bubble once again. I, I, you know, I, I think horror tends to do this more than any other genre. They, they tend to have kind of these little bubbles where you just suddenly get so many that are fantastic. Yeah. And right now we're kind of in that bubble. Um, and not so much just slasher films, but in general, you know, you get, get a lot of films from the uh, production company A24. Oh, produce, yes. Yes. Yeah, they've done some fantastic stuff. Yeah, and over the last few years as well, you you know, there's been some very interesting kind of sort of slasher films like Happy Death Day to You. Oh God, um, yeah. Also, I, I recently watched James Wan's Malignant, mm, which oh yes, is is one of the weirdest films I've seen in a very long time. I need to watch that because I've seen the trailer for it and I've heard things about it, and yeah, very similar to what you just said. It's a yeah. strange one to watch. Apparently, I really enjoyed it and. There is a, again, no spoilers for me, but there is a very particular sequence in the movie, which I was like, number one, this is definitely like Jallo slash slasher. And number two, I really wish Cronenberg was also involved in this. So and when you see the film, that will make sense to you. Okay. Okay, I see what AD meant with that. But... That is good. Well, that's that's AD's <laughs> recommendation. Malignant, guys. Keep an eye out for that one. And any of the other films he's mentioned today, do check them out. But yeah, just as a quick recap, we were give us a recap of all the, so what we've gone through today so far. So the top five, as it were, recommendations of the slasher genre, according to AD Lindsay. So you've got 1996's um, Scream, then 1984's Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, 1981's The Burning, 1980's Friday the 13th, and finally 1978 Halloween. If you guys are wor- like worried you don't know what to watch this Halloween, if you're not into being a weird adult that likes to go out trick-or-treating <laughs> with a load of, you know, when it's clearly meant for kids, if you don't want to go out for that all candy bucket life and you want to stay in like a like a proper adult and watch uh, watch some serious hardcore slasher films, watch one of those because you never know. You might find something you might enjoy. And to be honest, we've discussed it to death, but any of these could take your fancy. They've all got similar themes, but at the same time, they are unique in their own separate way. Just wanted to say thank you so much, AD, for coming on the podcast. This has been an absolute pleasure. I have enjoyed hearing you speak passionately about what you love and also just letting me go on and going, I love that too. It's great. (laughs) It's great when two people love it. It's great. But, you know, seriously, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Really, really. Thank you. Not a problem. Um, before we wrap up, though, uh, quick thing, because I like to do this with all my guests. Uh, do you have anything that you're looking forward to in particular in terms of new releases? It doesn't have to be slasher related. It can be anything. Is there anything? So mm. as it, you know, we're in October now. So is there anything that's coming out or that has been out already that you've watched that you've enjoyed or anything else you're looking forward to in particular to seeing in the cinema? Um, so obviously by the time this has come out, I probably will have seen Bond as will everybody else in the world. 
<laughs> waiting for that day. I've been waiting so long for that film. Every everyone has, you know. So I'm looking forward to that. So there's that. Uh, Dune, obviously by Dennis Villeneuve. You know, I'm kind of interested in that, especially after kind of David Lynch's mm. kind of take on it. So I'm interested to see what he's done with that. Wes Anderson's French Dispatch. Oh no, yes, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, interesting. Um, I, I like to call that the Grand Budapest Hotel Two, in my opinion. But I'll wait and see. I'll hold my opinion until I watch that one. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's the same. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to it because I've, I've kind of really grown to like uh, the films by Wes Anderson. I wasn't very keen when I was younger, but um, now I'm kind of a little bit more kind of in tune, I guess, with films. Um, I would say yeah, the I same with like me. Them, so. I would agree with that. I'm the same. <laughs> so, yeah, those and... Obviously, by the time this has gone out, I'll, I would have seen Halloween Kills as well. And, oh, yes. And Venom as well. And actually, while we're on that, I might as well just say it. So Spider-Man. Yes. You know, Spider-Man yes. 3 movie. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. We will, a little exclusive for everyone. I mean, it's kind of a non-open secret, really, to be honest. I will be reviewing Spider-Man No Way Home. I will be reviewing it. I will be, and I'll be doing all spoiler out. I will be like, literally, why? It's happening. It's happened. Hopefully that's the reaction I come out to. And this is where I do the episode and I play that clip back and I'll be like, bitterly disappointed. No, I hope no. I won't be because the trailer looks awesome, doesn't it? I love that trailer. Oh, brilliant. The other trailer as well that I've watched, hopefully I will have watched it by then and there'll be an episode on it soon as well, is Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho. Yes. I'm yes. very intrigued to see because it's such a good, like a big move, even from Baby Driver as well, which was a step away from the Cornetto trilogy. I really want to see this. The latest trailer as well, which, you know, the teaser was great, but the trailer for last night and so the proper trailer, it builds on it in such a, like, I get Jack the Ripper vibes with like time yeah. travel elements and, you know, like the threat is still out there. Like what really happened to Jack the Ripper? Like, I'm not saying that's actually part of the film guys, but like I get like Matt Smith's involvement in this film. I, I think it's a great departure from obviously everybody knowing him as, like either Prince Philip or the Doctor, um, <laughs> or, yeah, I mean, or, or that, or that, whatever that film was or TV show that was about the guy who did rowing. Those are the only three things oh, I know Matt yeah, Smith. Yeah. But I can't remember. It was good, decent, but He's like in Terminator as well. He was in Terminator. Oh yeah, he was, wasn't he? Because he shaved his head. Yeah, yeah, yes, that's why but... I remember now. <laughs> oh, that time, that time. But yeah, no, I'm excited for last night in Soho. I'm, I'm looking forward to that and Spider Man myself as well, just like you. If there's no Andrew Garfield, I will riot. Yeah, he, he's actually been denying that. Oh, oh I, as far as I'm aware, I don't know. Now, either he's bluffing or it's a very big shame that Amy What's-Her-Face, the Sony woman, didn't call him up and be like, mm, well, you were really good for us for two years, but we don't want you. It's a bluff. It's, <laughs> it's going to be a bluff. It hopefully should be a bluff. Again, I'm going to come back to this point when I've reviewed No Way Home, <laughs> and I'm going to tell the world. Um, <laughs> But no, seriously, on a concluding note, AD, do you have anything you want to say to our listeners at all? Any last thoughts or anything like that before we conclude? Just to say, you know, I hope you all have a really good Halloween and please, please make sure that you watch as many slasher movies as possible because, yeah, it absolutely deserves to be watched. They're fantastic. You've heard it from the man himself, Adrian Lindsay. He has spoken. You don't need any more convincing from me either so 
That's a wrap on Take 97, a film podcast, the slasher movies edition of the podcast with me, your host, David Ingram, and me, Adrian Lindsay. Thank you very much, guys. I'll catch you on the next episode. See you later.